Good morning, Sebastian Modak. Welcome on VH Berries. Good morning. It's good to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice, cool summer day in uh, New York City. To travel is to live. This is a very popular quote. But with you, Sebastian, I would change it with uh, to travel with cancelling uh, noise cancelling headphones is to live. <laughs> uh, I do think uh, it's a very important thing to pack with you. Um, when you're taking as many flights as I do and you have to deal with as many, you know, loud talkers and screaming babies as I do on planes, sometimes these can help a lot. Absolutely, because when I took a very deep look at your articles and works for many newspapers, you really put an emphasis on the technology that is surrounding traveling. Mm. Yeah, I did um, spend some time, you know, especially I spent a few years working at the magazine Condé Nast Traveler and just ended up doing a lot of tech coverage for them. So um, that is still part of what I do, although I don't do as much of it as I used to. But um, I'm still very interested in the, the technology we bring with us when we travel that makes it easier to travel or just more fun. Um, though I wouldn't say it's necessarily my main focus now. As the date of today, you have many involvements in a lot of projects and one is called Lonely Planet. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, so Lonely Planet is a primarily has been a guidebook company, um, you know, almost 50 years old, uh, started really with a, with a certain kind of traveler in mind, that traveler who wants to get off the beaten path and um, meet locals and really entrench themselves in a new culture. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been 50 long years and I just joined um, over the past few months uh, as an editor at large. So I've been kind of involved in thinking about what, how, how do you translate all that history, all that legacy, all that expertise in travel and guidebooks um, into the modern age, with into digital technology, into the way that we all consume media now, which is mostly, you know, staring at our phones or, or on computers. So, um, yeah, it's been very fun. It's a very exciting place to work right now. I think it's uh, a lot of very talented people, a lot of very passionate travelers um, with a lot of big ideas about what the future of travel looks like. So I've been involved with that um, for about three, four months now. This is very inspiring. And Sebastian Modak, uh, you just mentioned uh, the word digital side. That's right, because uh, today uh, you don't believe anymore that people are buying physical books and maps, you know, to to um, to know where, it, where they are. Yeah, no, I think it, it varies. I mean, I think there's a lot of people, especially with a brand like Lonely Planet, for example, um, There are people who are very nostalgic about having the guidebook, you know, and you go to the cafe in Paris or wherever you are and you sit down with your coffee and you read the guidebook and you say, okay, I'm going to go here, here, here. But I think especially younger audiences, they're not doing that as much anymore. They, they're looking at Instagram for, to find out where they should go or they're, you know, talking to their friends or they're on Reddit or wherever, you know. So um, I think that's not unique to what I'm doing now. It's not unique to Lonely Planet or the New York Times or anywhere else that I work with or, or have worked in the past, but everyone's trying to figure out how do you tell travel stories for a new generation. And through your career that has started uh, quite a few times ago, uh, 
I would say a few years ago, um, you started with uh, the Washington Post, the New York Times. So you have jumped around um, various newspapers. Yeah, no, I have, I have. I mean, Washington Post, I was never an employee there. I've just, I've written as a freelance journalist, I've written articles for them. Um, but my first kind of real full-time journalism job was with Condé Nast Traveler, the uh, travel magazine. Um, before that, I was also involved in, in media, though it wasn't necessarily just travel writing. I was doing a lot of video stuff. Um, I was very involved in music. I did a project in Botswana about hip-hop music in Botswana. I did a documentary series or worked on a documentary series about music and protest around the world. And then I kind of transitioned into um, travel writing from there. So. Like I said, I was at Condé Nast Traveler, and then um, from there, I was at the New York Times as their 52 Places Traveler for a year. And then since that project ended, um, just been freelancing. So writing for many different publications, like you said, the Washington Post, BBC, Outside Magazine, um, still with the New York Times as well. And now lately, I'm doing a lot more work with Lonely Planet. So that's kind of the trajectory of my... Uh, storytelling career, per se. By the way, with this trajectory, we just mentioned the number uh, 52 countries. So this is the number of countries you have visited in the past? No, I've visited many more. I visited probably close to 80 countries. The, the 52 was a, um, <laughs> a, a franchise of the New York Times. It was, a, it was something that they started where every year they release something called the 52 places to go. The idea being you could go to one place every week for a year and, and see the world that way. And then a few years ago, they started giving one person, you know, the dream of a life, the job of a lifetime to travel to each one of those 52 places. So they spent a week in each place. Um, and I was the second person to have that job. So for all of 2019, I was spending one week in a different place around the world for the full year. Um, and writing a column from each place and um, taking photographs, social media, just storytelling from 52 different places around the world. So that's, that's the significance of the 52 number. And what is very ironic, Sebastian Modak, is that uh, this was all, as you mentioned, in 2019, which is one year before the pandemic. This is very ironic. And by the way, this is also the year uh, in which I started podcasting. So um, a lot of things are linked. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, was, I was very lucky to have had the experience that I had because I got back in December 2019. Um, exhausted you know after the course of that year i took 88 flights um traveled the equivalent of almost five times around the planet so as you can imagine i was very tired i was ready for a break but then of course a few months after i got back the world changed forever and uh, uh my 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 few months break turned into a much much longer break from travel um so i was i was lucky to have had the experience i had just before everything happened And moreover, I truly believe that uh, for you, the word freelance rhymes with freedom. Mm. Sure, yeah. No, I think um, there is there's a lot to be said. Freelance, freelance writing is difficult. I think uh, it's a hard, hard life because you have to constantly be trying to find the next story and 
pitching to editors and hoping that editors will reach out to you for stories. So it can be difficult. It can be exhausting. But um, I think the, like you said, the freedom of it is, is its is the reward for that work. The fact that you get to make your own hours, you get to travel when you want to, you, you know, every day is, it's up to you what you decide to do. So in that sense, yeah, I think there is um, some freedom to freelancing. Absolutely. And um, concerning a few numbers of your articles, for example, uh, one called the 10 happiest countries in the world, you are oftentimes working with other writers and journalists. For example, uh, you did a collaboration with uh, Caitlin Morton. Oh, yeah, you're looking very deep into the into the archives. That That's something that I haven't even thought about for a while. I mean, yeah, that's that's from my days at Condé Nast. That was kind of the daily um, digital journalism life that we would put up these articles. Um, and I think, you know, I probably wrote the original version of that article, I don't know, four or five years ago, based on a on a ranking that would come out. And then I think the other name that you're seeing there are other people who have come in since to to update it. I Yeah. I wouldn't be able to tell you much about what's going on with articles like that. Those are from a long, long time ago. Um, and uh, I think my focus has shifted from from the, those kinds of articles um, to more feature, kind of more long form uh, personal narratives is, is what I'm most interested in now. Wow. And uh, the interesting fact is, is that... Uh... In, on an article, one of the most important things is the title, and you're very surpassing yourself to be creative. Uh, for example, the joy of making new friends through Google Translate. Yeah, mm, yeah that was... Um, oftentimes, actually, it's not even myself that comes up with the headlines, right? That was an editor that came over, came up with the headlines. But that was a, yeah, that was a fun story. That was also for, uh, see that you've seen the, the Condé Nast Traveler articles that I've written. Um, that one was, I believe, again, it was a little bit, at least a year ago or so, but I, um, it was for the print publication, the magazine side of it. And uh, it was a story of meeting somebody in the country of Georgia and um, how we were able to communicate and sort of find some shared experience and shared senses of humor and everything else, just uh, kind of pointing at things and using Google Translate and whatever else. It just shows that, um, you know, I, I usually, a lot of people ask like, oh, you've been to all these places. How do you do it with language? You know, if, you, if they don't speak English or you don't speak the local language. And I think with an article like that, you know, the joy of making friends through Google Translate, I think, um, but the point I'm trying to make is that you actually can make connections without language. You can make long lasting connections and friendships. It just takes a little bit of creativity and maybe you have to embarrass yourself a little bit and put yourself out there. But I think that's one of the best parts of travel personally. So this related story uh, was, if I remembered well, uh, in Georgia, uh, so near the Turkish border. That's right. Yeah, I was in um, West. Uh, yeah, by the by the um, the Black Sea around there in Georgia. There's a little town called Batumi, and I started there. Um, well, not little town, city called Batumi, and uh, went into the mountains um, with with a guide who uh, ended up becoming a friend. 
And Sebastian Modak, when I'm hearing you, I can feel this passion when you are mentioning traveling. And this um, specific concept, as we just mentioned, has shifted uh, through the last year. So as, the, as for today, what is your meaning of traveling? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very big question. Um, what's the meaning of traveling? I think it depends on who, who you are, what, what your priorities are. I think, I think what, what I hope has changed over the past year when we've, you know, been stuck at home, we've had to cancel vacations and weddings and all kinds of plans that we might have had. It's been difficult for a lot of people, myself included. I mean, I went from constant travel to, to no travel, right? Um, and, I hope that it's put things into perspective. I hope it's made us realize how lucky we are to be able to travel at all. Um, I hope it's, it's going to make us travel with more intention and with more responsibility and with a greater understanding of the context in which we're traveling and, and the way that we're affecting local communities. And maybe, maybe, you know, maybe it's time to skip that all inclusive resort on the beach when you're not really interacting with the culture at all and instead go to the go into town make some new friends um, learn a new skill um, put yourself out there and, and I think the the real value of travel is in the connections that we make with other people um, and I hope that this past year even as we've been isolated from each other it's made us want to build those connections even more instead of hide even more into our own shells. So when, you know, when things get back to normal, if they get back to normal, I hope it's not just the way it was. I hope it's a new normal and I hope we um, approach travel with a new mindset. And concerning this mindset uh, when approaching travel, I also truly believe that this is very important to lose ourselves, if I can say this, when you are going to a country that we don't know, to really take the time, uh, sit somewhere and just uh, watch uh, our environment to be connected to our five senses. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I... Um Actually, it's difficult too when you're when you're someone who writes about travel, when you're a journalist, because especially with something like the New York Times 52 Places project, I was under so much pressure, right? Because I was in a different Whoa. place every week and I had to turn around a big story every week. So it was, it felt like I always had to be working and I always had to be documenting and I had to be thinking about the story. It was hard to just slow down and be mindful of me being in the place as well as a traveler. So... Um, for me, it's important to, to do that. And I think I've done that by, I kind of have gone into the habit now that when I travel to a new place, especially if I'm alone, before I even start thinking about the story or interviewing people or taking photos or whatever else, I'll just go for one long walk. You know, I'll just walk for maybe one, two hours, no destination in mind. Just go, ex just, just feel the city, maybe sit down, have a coffee or a beer or something and watch the city go by and, and really just kind of center myself and be like, okay, I am here and I am lucky to be here. Um, and this is what it feels like to be here. And then I can start thinking about, okay, how do I turn this into a 2000 word article or, or whatever. By the way, we need to make a pause on this uh, 52 uh, countries project, because when I'm just thinking about it now, there is so many options and things that comes to my mind for example the way we dress because 
every country doesn't have the same climate. And also, mm -hmm. you just mentioned that it was really hectic, that you always sense um, the, the, the pressure to work and document uh, what you were experimenting. So... Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah, no, it was it was a challenge. I think it was an amazing on the part of the New York Times. I give all credit to them for coming up with this this uh, very out there idea, um, very ambitious experiment, um, and I'm very very grateful. You know, I, I can I can complain about the fact that I was so tired and I took you know 88 flights <laughs> and you know I'm always most of the time in economy class unless I was up you know upgraded. It, was, it wasn't easy by any means, but. I'm so lucky to have, I, I definitely recognize my, the privilege that I have of doing that. And I would never be caught actually complaining about it because I was so lucky, but yeah, it did pose its challenges. I mean, I had to, in the same suitcase, I had to pack for Siberia and Tahiti, you know, like it's a, it's a difficult, even, even technically, logistically, it's a difficult uh, thing to do, but, um, but yeah, it was amazing. It was a once in a lifetime experience. And in your luggage, I believe that there is no place to put too many souvenirs. Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. Actually, instead, what I did was I got into the habit of um, from each place that I was in over the course of that year, I sent a postcard back to my partner in New York. Um, so she would get the postcard from me. And now we have, you know, 52 postcards that are kind of act as their own souvenir from, from each place. And each one has a message that I sent home. So that was a kind of creative way to uh, collect souvenirs without having to put anything in my already very full suitcase. And Sebastian Modak, this passion for traveling has always been in you because, for example, uh, you have a mother that was from Medellin, Colombia, and a father who was in India. So it was since the beginning, a very uh, cultural uh, mix. Yeah, that's right. And I, you know, even on top of that, not only were my you know, parents from two very different parts of the world, but I also, because of my father's work, we moved every four or five years. So I grew up constantly moving. We were in Hong Kong and Australia and India and Indonesia is where I went to high school. So I definitely was raised with this value put on curiosity and learning about the world and um, engaging with the world. And um, I don't think I ever, while I wasn't like intentional, it wasn't like from a young age, I was like, I'm going to be a travel writer. I never, I never planned for it that way. But I think you're right that my upbringing had a lot to do with what I ended up doing for a living. So you grew up moving from countries to countries. So Hong Kong, uh, you just mentioned a few other ones. So you always been like in a school that are related to America, you know, uh, because in every city, uh, there is always, for example, the French high school, the American college, you know, mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, it changed a little bit. It was mostly, it was what the, you know, international school. So it was oh. some of, some of the Americans, like kind of a mix sometimes of the American system and the, you know, British system. Um, but it, but definitely a lot, big, big American cultural influence on that school. I mean, that's why I have, I talk like this and I have this accent, right? Um, because of the schools that I, I grew up in. So, yeah. I don't recognize any accent. You just mentioned the American accent, right? 
You don't think I have an American accent? This sounds like an American accent to me. Oh, you you have one. I just said you had the one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I do. And I think it's, um, I mean, I'm an American citizen, but I only lived in the U.S. for the first two years of my life. But I think in the international schools, you're consuming so much American pop culture, music and television and whatever else. And you end up talking like this. <laughs> <laughs> and right now you are in Brooklyn, New York City. So that's right. Yeah, I've been um, I've been in uh, I've lived in New York on and off for five, six years. But um, previously, my partner and I were living in Harlem, which is a neighborhood in kind of the top of Manhattan, upper Manhattan. We just moved to Brooklyn about two months ago. So we're kind of new to the to the neighborhood. That's inspiring. And mm -hmm. Sebastian Modak, in the future, people need to know that you're going to publish a book. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the hope. I've been working on it for a long time already. And, you know, it's tough. You get distracted by day to day things. You get distracted by articles you need to pitch for and publish and all that stuff. So I've been working on it slowly. And um, I think it's hopefully whenever it's out there, it'll touch on a lot of the things we've been talking about, about, you know, how to travel with more intentionality and more consciousness and hopefully contribute to like a large, larger conversation about how we can be more responsible travelers. Absolutely. It will contribute to the conversation around travel. So this is what we can classify as a long-term project that you have developed since a long time. So can you tell us a little bit more about what's inside those lines? I wish I could. I have to write it first. <laughs> But um, no, we are, you know, I'm, I'm at the stage where I'm still kind of planning it all out and, and thinking about it. I don't, you know, it couldn't, it couldn't, it could lead to nothing. You know, I don't have anything oh. signed away. It's, there's nothing set. It's very much little parts that I'm working on at once. But, um, but to tell you what's inside, I mean, the idea is using my experiences, not just, you know, on the 52 Places project and all the other traveling I've done as an adult, but also growing up the way I did and just looking at how it's affected um, the way I view the world and the way I view travel and hopefully impart some lessons from that about how we can, um, we can travel better, basically. Just, you know, I think there's a lot of concerns right now around representation and the environment and how the, all these things inter intersect with travel. And I think um, hopefully, even if I don't have all the answers in a, in a book form, hopefully whenever this project sees the light of day, um, I, it, it will offer some, uh, some more questions and some more conversation points that, that will get things started. But like I said, there's no, you know, publishing deal in place or anything. This is very much in the early stages still. So stay tuned. But um, in the meantime, there'll be plenty of other articles and other content that I'll be creating that, that people can, can read and consume. That's deep because you just mentioned that in, for example, the book, you will, of course, mention some type of sociology because for example by traveling from uh, Tahiti to 
uh, another uh, places you can see the gap between the population, their way of life and their wealth. Sure, yeah, that is part of it, but it is it's not my place necessarily to um to make any judgments about that or or make larger points about that because I think another big point that I try to make in my writing is is that such a big part of travel is is the humility, right? I think I think in the past travel writers have often they'll go to a place and they'll say I know now I know everything about it and here's what you need to know about the place. But what do I know about, you know, Paris after spending a week there? Like really, what do I I mean I still I'm still learning, I'm still new to it. So I'll never know as much as a local. I'll never I'll never be able to to know that. So I think it's important to acknowledge that and instead offer stories that can maybe, you know, shed some light on humanity at large and the world at large and our place in it and everything without just saying like here's everything you need to know about Paris because I'm an expert because I spent one week there. And I think that's that's not the approach that we need to be taking. I think it's been the approach that we've taken for a long time and I think hopefully it's time to change that a little bit. Absolutely because let's say that I were going to travel with you for this uh, long uh, uh, 52 countries trip if The two of us were writing a book. The book will be totally different, you know, two versions. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's what's that's what's great about travel, right? It's so subjective. It's so, you know, it's why a lot of people ask me, they say, oh, you've been to this many countries, whatever. Like, what's your favorite place? Um, and I don't I never give an answer for that because I think it's so subjective. It's so based on experience. How can you say that you, you know, you rank the country of India, number four in your places after spending a couple of weeks there. Like, who am I to make judgments like that? Um, I think uh, it's better to ask, you know, what, what was some of your best experiences? What are some of your, um, some stories from your travels that, that stuck with you versus saying, what's the best place? What's the second best place? What's, where should I go? Like it's, it gets, you fall into, um, trying to make absolute statements about something that, like you said, is so subjective. We could have the same exact trip and have very different opinions based on that trip. So when someone, if I understood correctly, is asking you that, you're kind of refusing to giving them an answer. But um, when I'm looking at uh, your articles, I also believe that Uh, you are sometimes forced to do some rankings because as I mentioned earlier with the 10, top 10 of the highest, happiest uh, countries and I saw some of others' rankings. Yeah, but those are, again, from when I was doing more like daily reporting stuff and it's not, I didn't come up with the rankings. That's me reporting on another list that already came out. So, I see. you know, it might be like, HSBC puts out a best places for expats or whatever, and then we will write about that list. So I've, I never come up with the list myself. I would never say on my own from my own experience what country is happier than other. These are like, you know, metrics and lists from the UN or other organizations that I have reported on in the past. And it just reminded me or something concerning this long trip is that I believe that every destination have been organized very uh, smart in a very smart way because you are always going to travel from the closest country to another one. You are not going to do uh, 
big travels for example if you need to travel from Australia to Japan you're not going to go to Los Angeles and then come back to Japan <laughs> well you'd think but we actually uh, for the most part we tried to plan it you know to make as much geographical sense as possible um, otherwise you know I could have spent half the year on planes but there were a few times because um, the 52 places list it comes out And sometimes there's a specific reason that a place is on the list. So maybe it's a solar eclipse in Chile or there's a festival in Switzerland. So I had to be there at that time. So there were a few times where I had to kind of crisscross the world a little bit. Um, but for the most part, we tried to make it as logical as possible, which is, in itself is kind of a fun puzzle, you know? And by the way, concerning this uh, concept of traveling, What are your uh, highest values? Highest values? I mean, the things I value most are um, around connecting with people. It's connecting with people is, is what I value the most. It's, um, I, you know, I, I've been to a lot of, I've been very lucky. I've been to a lot of beautiful places. Um, I've seen a lot of, you know, wonders of the world and natural wonders and, um, whether it's waterfalls or the Taj Mahal or whatever. Um, but when I think back to places, the first thing that comes to my mind aren't those landmarks. It's, uh, it's people. It's the people that I've met, the people who have welcomed me into their homes and shown me something about where they're from. Um, and so for me, that's what I value most about travel, for sure. And when you are doing this work abroad, you are, of course... Um, taking notes uh, because you are doing uh, a written article but do you also uh, like to document uh, what you are seeing in another way and by saying that I mean for example pictures with a camera to film and record yeah no I, I, I have definitely I mean I definitely take notes but actually I think I rely on multimedia more than I do my own notes because I'm constantly, you know, a big part of my job is also I'm a photographer and I, you know, for the New York Times, um, I was taking all my own photos, which is rare in this, in the age, in the journalism that we live in now, usually there's separate, separate people who write and take their photos. And I was very lucky to be in a position where I could do both. So um, I was photographing everything along the way. Um, also, social media is a big part of my job. So I was constantly, you know, updating Instagram stories and Twitter and all that stuff. So that was a, that was a way of documenting things, too. Um, and oftentimes when I was putting the story together, you know, at the end of each trip, um, I would rely on looking back on that media, on the photos and uh, recordings, you know, audio recordings that I do and everything else. Um, I would look back on that as a way to remind myself of details even more than reading my notes, you know. To be honest, Sebastian Modak, you really need to start podcasting with every human that you are meeting abroad. <laughs> I'm trying to yeah. convince everybody around me to start a podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good idea. Um, you know, maybe maybe that'll happen down the line. I think uh I've learned so much from people around the world and I'm sure there is an, an appetite to hear those stories firsthand, you know. 
of course, to hear their stories. Thank you so much, Sebastian Modak, for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for um, thanks for having me, and, and good luck with with all your future endeavors.